our mission, and we choose to accept it, is zero injuries and zero environmental impact. A healthy workforce and environment is key to our nation's continued success. The Mission Zero podcast is a deep dive with the industry's top experts into the health, safety and environmental aspects of today's workplace. Our mission is to be a platform for new ideas and strategies that, when implemented, will improve our safety, our environment and how we govern out business. We are making the world safer and we're going to have fun doing it. Okay, welcome everyone to the Mission Zero podcast. Uh, my, this today is a special day. I've got my first guest internationally. Uh, we have Gavin Coyle, the CEO of the Coyle Group, all the way from Dublin, Ireland. Welcome, Gavin. Hi, Jeff. Uh, thanks very much for having me. I'm really looking forward to talking to you about all things safety. Yep. Uh, wonderful to have you on. You have a long, uh, looks like about a 20 year career in safety. Uh, <clears throat> it's really great to talk to you and talk to you what you're here to talk about. And that's a new, uh, concept or not a new concept, but, uh, one year you've expanded on more than any have, and that's the business of safety. But first, before we start talking about that, um, you know, tell us a little bit about you. I mean, we, I haven't had an international guy on here and, uh, we all love Irish people. So, Tell us about, tell me about where, you know, your past, your family, where you grew up and uh, and how you career-wise got to where you are today. Yeah. So um, typical Irish family, large uh, numbers in the family. Everybody scrambled for food. And if you were first to the plate, you got fed the best. Um, so there was uh, five boys and one girl uh, in the family. And uh, my father was in uh the retail business, uh, fruit and veg, fish and poultry in Dublin. And uh, that was a fairly successful family-run business since the 1950s. So um, I kind of feel that I some of the things that I'd, I'd, I had uh, picked up on later on in life had come from uh, working as a free labor in that shop uh, at weekends or on, on, in the summer periods. But uh, it was... Um, very successful shop but as we as we know then later on in life the large um supermarkets uh came into town and sort of squeezed out the corner shops now it's still there today uh my uncle runs it but um uh, and owns it um but uh in terms of the the super chains they definitely sort of completely destroyed that sort of small independent owner type model um but um, my father had moved on anyway with us and we moved to the west coast of Ireland. Um, so I spent about 10 years in the west coast of Ireland. Um, my father had actually sort of went bankrupt. So we had to start from, from zero again. Again, another impact in terms of the financial side of things to see, you know, uh, the bank man coming to the door and then not leaving the door, but sitting in his car uh, uh, waiting for, a conversation about when he was going to get paid and, and so on and so forth. So, you know, had a mixture of, you know, seeing the whole entrepreneurial journey, seeing how money was made, seeing how you interact with customers, you know, uh, growing up in that environment and then obviously seeing the sort of devastation and the destruction and the chaos of everything basically being dissipated. And then how do you actually try and climb back up the ladder again as a family and as individuals. And I know he struggled with that uh, very much even to this day. I, I would suggest that he he probably never over, he never really got over that. Um, 
but uh yeah so like uh, i'm married to ashling two kids uh emily and leah and uh, so 10 and 12 uh two great kids and um enjoying them and obviously learning from my own past experiences as a guards you know um growing up in the environment i grew up in, and then how could i better that or how could i change what i seen was not the good side and how could i make it better for my own kids and stuff like that so i suppose it's an evolution that we have and i think as individuals and as 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 people you know um, maybe sometimes we need to change the cycle of the environment that we're brought into and change it for the better and i don't think maybe some uh, people do that enough uh, they kind of they feel safe within the family unit and if you don't go outside the family unit and you don't you know create a situation where you have a different type of uh, mindset and uh, i was one of those individuals that was kind of seen as the black sheep in the family because i just put that different perspective on pretty much everything so it was always uh it's gavin you know it's, <laughs> he's causing trouble again and um like i'd left school early uh because of that as well you know i just i just the whole sort of um conform uh to a certain way environment i couldn't i couldn't uh i couldn't conform to that uh i knew that there was a structure and a system and you had to follow that i wasn't disrespectful of that but i, I felt for whatever reason i think it's probably now down to my entrepreneurial background that you know, I was going against the grain and uh, I left school early and uh, I went working in meat factories and got a major lesson on, uh, you know, what it's like to work in the big bad world. And uh, I became very competent in terms of I could do nearly every station of a killing line on a, on, in, a, in an abattoir. And uh, <clears throat> this guy came to me one day and he says, I think you're crazy. Um and I said, why? He says, well, he says, I've been watching you for the last couple of months here, blood everywhere. And don't want to get into the gory details, but he said, you're only a young guy. Like, you know, what are you doing to yourself? Whereas most of the guys that I was working with are very, you know, they've been there for years and years and they were institutionalized into that environment. And um, for me, it was about survival. It was like, you know, I, I couldn't go back to school. That wasn't an option. So I had to make the best of what I was doing here. So, um, this guy uh, said, look, go go to these guys and tell them um, that you're going back to school. And he says, come work for me. And I said, well, what do you do? And he says, well, I do all the refrigeration engineering for all of the abattoirs in Ireland. And he said, I've got some big projects on. I think you'd be a great asset. So with that, I took the plunge. Stop right there. Because you said a word I couldn't, um, if I didn't understand it, I don't think anybody, what, all the what in Ireland? What, what do you? Oh, refrigeration for the what? Uh, uh, abattoirs, sorry. Abattoirs as in killing, uh, as in meat factories. Okay, meat factories, gotcha. Okay. Meat factories, yeah, sorry, yeah, sorry. Yeah, abattoirs, said, meat factories. Continue. Yeah. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> excuse me. So, yeah, and this guy, um, like at the time we were dealing in a currency, it was called Punt. Um, it's now obviously Euro. But, like, I was that guy was paying me about 400 punt a week and I was paying 15 punt a week to share a flat with my brother who was doing an apprenticeship as a metal fabricator fitter. And so I was coming home with 400 pound a week and he was coming home with something like, you know, 90, hundred pound a week, punt a week. So he was kind of looking at me going like, how are you doing this? Like, <laughs> And, uh, 
someone went back to my family. Uh, one of my brothers, I think, I think I know who it was, went back and said, "I think, I think Gavin's doing drugs or something." There's no way he's making this money because, like, this is unrealistic. And there's a lot of pressure then that were put on me uh, to say, "Look, you need, you need to go back and get an education." So I said, "Right, I'll go back on one condition. I pick the, the school I want to go back to." And so I spoke to the employer and I said, "Look." I got to go back to school, but would you mind taking on my other brother who was coming out of school? He came out of school, took my job, became a refrigeration engineer, went on then uh, right up to today. Now he has his own business and stuff like that. So he, uh, he, I was his career guidance uh, <laughs> coach that got him into a job. Um, yeah, and when I came out of school, then I went on to the building sites, and at the time. There was a massive amount of influx of American companies into Ireland where they were trying to uh, make a footprint into Europe. And uh, we had the likes of Glasshouse, Smith Smithline Beecham. We had Warner Lambert, which is Pfizer's now. We had Intel, Compact. school, and um, at, at the time, the American multinationals were moving into Ireland in a big way. And Europe was obviously... A becking call for a lot of these large corporations, so the likes of GSK, Warner Lambert, which is Pfizer's now, Intel, <clears throat> Hewlett Packard, Compaq. You know the, the list is endless, and they're still have a major footprint in Ireland today. And I suppose they see in Ireland as a a step a stepping stone into Europe to deliver their services and products. And so, um, I was at the forefront in terms of that whole hyper project hyper scale construction projects of all these facilities that these guys were building and with that they came a requirement to have a full-time safety professional on the job so because i'd come out of school and i hadn't got a trade the the guys finger pointed me and said well you're doing safety so um look i enjoyed it went to a first meeting a safety meeting and i said to myself yeah i like the whole concept of you know, trying to make people safe, go home safe. Um, what does that look like and how are you going to get there? And um, I really enjoyed it. So I suppose <clears throat> in fairness to the company I worked for, and they obviously seen some potential with me because they had sent me to university on a part-time basis to get a master's degree um, from that as well. And so I kind of traveled um, the world with that contractor as well. Um, looking after all of their projects um, as they grew. And I think they're now 500 million turnover a year <clears throat> company now. So they're, they're not a small contractor anymore. But um, yeah, I suppose from a health and safety perspective, <clears throat> it was new to me, you know. Okay, so you had, and that's your, that's your beginning into <clears throat> the safe, right? Yeah, within, I suppose, the first 12, 24 months, um, I had two major events then. I had, um, um, because I was looking after a number of projects doing safety, uh, one of the projects was the Four Seasons Hotel was being built in Dublin. And I happened to be on that job one morning and there was a large bang on the side of the cabin uh, with uh, somebody shouting, man down, man down. Um, and it happened to be one of our young guys had fallen headfirst into a hole and was fighting for his life. So... Uh, we got him out of the hole and into the ambulance and I went with him in the ambulance. It was, it was carnage to be honest with you. Um, and, uh, got him into A&E 
and uh, within a day he passed away from his injuries. So that was my first wake up call to say, look, you know, this is a serious role and career. And do you have what it takes? Because this, this is not, this is part of it. This is one of the outcomes if things go wrong. And so I got that firsthand. And from a personal note, within the same sort of 24 month period, um, I lost my brother who drowned along with two other guys, two of his friends. They were waist high uh, in water, just throwing a ball to each other uh, at, uh, at the Atlantic Ocean, just a, a, there was a famous beach. And a uh, freak wave came in and took the three guys out. And that was it. They were gone. Um, so I suppose two major traumas within a sort of like a 24-month period, both from a personal point of view and professional point of view. And I really had to dig in and sort of say to myself, look, you know, is this something that I want to do? And it took me a while, but I, uh, once I settled down, I said, yeah, and, and sort of that still drives me as a safety professional today, those two events have shaped the way I talk to people, the way I look at scenarios, the way I, you know, um, carry out my own sort of um, discussions and the, the way I carry out myself as a person towards people because I understand what it's like to lose somebody. I understand what it's like to see a family in complete and utter um, uh, just mourning and just you know devastated and so you know um i'm not alone there's plenty of other people have obviously been in similar circumstances and unfortunately today we're still facing with the reality that people are dying in the workplace and you know we'll get into the discussion later on as regards where my mindset is with that but you know uh, i don't think people should be going to work and have to have a situation where uh, their loved ones get a phone call to say, look, he's not coming home or she's not coming home. Gotcha. Gotcha. So uh, you, you had a varied career of different safety positions. It looked like you took for a few different companies, obviously progressing through your career. Um, as far as um, uh, where you are now, though, so you, you've moved <clears throat> on from, and you wrote about being consultant in your book, but you, you know, you now have the coil group, the CEO of the coil group. Uh, what exactly, um, I mean, I, I, people, I guess most listeners are going to know what it does, but can you tell us a little bit about the coal group and what you do there and when you founded it and the, the mission of it? Yeah. So I had, um, I had a, a, a training products and consultancy business, um, um, before that. And I just, you know, I see in an area where, you know, there was a requirement to supply good quality premium health and safety professionals into the energy sector and um that's really what my sort of spark uh, um came from myself and my wife um set up uh coil group in 2011 with a view to providing these premium type um safety people who i would have known down through the years and it would have come across a lot of people that i knew that were really top quality and could do it could do a job and so you know i suppose having my own background in safety and having my own experience, uh, you know, um, people that I met were kind of, kind of stand back and saying, well, he's not just a business owner. He's actually, he's lived the process. He knows exactly what we're looking for here. And so we, we built a niche 
company that just supplies health and safety people into the energy sector. And one of the reasons we've done, we done that was because number one, it's highly regulated in, in that area. Um, and number two, all these clients have assets to protect. Whereas in a lot of my previous roles or previous experiences, you know, I was working in the contracting game and these contractors could go in and, and go away from a job and leave a job. And that was it done. They didn't own the asset. When it, the case now has different where I went was they either owned the electrical infrastructure, like a substation or a wind turbine or a power station. And so there was an added incentive that they had to go a higher level on health and safety in order to protect these assets and the people that are operating these assets. So we created this niche for ourselves where we turned away a lot of work, um, mainly because we just wanted to focus on this niche. And then our reputation just started growing and growing because we were able to set our sides up, uh, Sells apart from, well, they're not a recruitment agency. So if they're not a recruitment agency, are they, are they a consultant? And we weren't a consultant per se, even though I was offering strategic advice and support. It became like more like a managed service business where we put the guys in there, but we managed the performance of the guys. And when things are going bad, we, we roll in together as a team and as a group. And in a lot of cases, the client wouldn't see some of the issues that are going on because we, we have them nipped in the bud straight away ourselves. And we, we were always open and honest and transparent with the client in terms of, look, we have an issue, but here's how we solved it. And here's how we addressed it and, and so on and so forth. So, you know, it's not a perfect world by any means, but when you build that trust and that relationship and that transparency, clients, even though they're competitors, some of our, a lot of our clients are competitive their own competitors were hearing about the same stories that we were delivering, you know, what, on what we said we would deliver. And, and these jobs were running smoothly, to, you know, in the main, they were running smoothly. So then it became sort of a mothball where more and more major companies were coming in looking for our services. And so to be quite honest with you, not being sort of arrogant about it, but we do kind of have, we're fairly picky in the coil group as regards the risk and the profile of companies we work for now and whether there's a good match between us. And I think we have the luxury of that now, whereas initially, like any other business, we're kind of, we took what we could. Um, um, and so there was barren periods, but where we are now, we're comfortable in the sense that we know we have the capacity and we have the expertise to deliver in the, in the, in the industries that we stick in. And we're, we're focused, we're, we stay in our lane uh, Jeff, I suppose. Yeah. You know, I, that's funny. You know, rarely do people have that view of uh, choosing, you know, or view, I'd say luxury to choose to say, and okay, look, this, what we do is for a specific, specific kind of customer, you know, in, in a, in a relation world to you, I manufacture fire resistant clothing, right. And I manufacture one that's way better than anything else out there. It's lighter. It's, it's, it's inherently FR, which is important to safety, right? And it's not the cheapest thing out there by no means. And so for that reason, everyone's not my customer. So I, I'm, I see your point there. Uh, you know, unfortunately, every, co every company is not going to have the culture needed for certain types of products and services. So uh, 
I, I think that would be a luxury uh, to be able to be able to to be able to choose and say, okay, these people are right for us. These people aren't right for us. And I really like that idea. So, and how long has the uh, coal group, how long have you been, in, how long have you been going? Since 2011, uh, Jeff. Oh, so quite a while then. Okay. Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. No, we've plenty of, um, uh, look, we, we, look, the other thing about it is the conversations we have on a daily basis are all conversations uh, and all language. You, you understand, we all understand does it, and your listeners will understand there's certain languages in certain industries that are relative to that industry and certain conversations have certain language. And I'm not talking about English or, you know, Mexican or whatever. I'm talking about the language of how the, uh, people uh, talk to each other in terms of the project and how, you know, different nuances and stuff like that. And they're the, they're the conversations all of our guys are having on a daily basis specifically focused in the areas that we're focused in and you know I'm, I'm not trying to blow our trumpet but like if we go into a different environment like a manufacturing environment or process chemicals and stuff like that the language is going to be different and then there's a learning curve that you have to bring up bring yourself up to and so you're immediately behind uh, behind the, the curve ball and on that and you're you're trying to play catch up and you know, we looked at it from the point of view is we don't want to grow a massive headquarters. We just want to be small, niche, but pack a big power punch. And how do you do that? Well, the only way you can do that is if you stay a straight line. And when you start coming off that straight line, things get blurred and, you know, mistakes are made. And then the delivery and the quality of the service just goes straight down. Do you operate internationally or is it just an Irish-based company? We operate internationally. so. The model, again, uh, we had opened an office in Abu Dhabi at one stage, and we, we learned a lesson from that. It was a fantastic place to work, but the lesson that we learned from it was we need to travel with our clients. Um, and in that case, we didn't travel with our clients. We were aware of some major projects like the Expo 2020 and massive um, work that was going to happen in that area. And we were attracted by that, uh, but from a business point of view, it was, it was not a good decision by me um, because there was a recession on in the oil and gas industry. And so what we learned was when there's an oil and gas recession, it's only a talk shop and nothing really gets done. So uh, there was a lot of talk and a lot of meetings, but not a lot of action. <laughs> so, yeah. um, you know, what we said out of that, and of course, we learned from our mistakes. Was we will just attach ourselves to to our existing client base and let them bring us around the world to whatever projects they have for us. And so, you know, we don't have to create brand new relationships and set up brand new headquarters and all the other stuff that goes with that. So we just travel with the clients that we have. You know, nice. Okay, great. Uh, <clears throat> so. We, uh, you, you have this book out, uh, so you're not only a safety professional, safety consultant, safety, uh, you know, with a core group. You've got that. You've had that for 11 years now, a, a successful company. You've written this book, work, Workplace Safety on a Budget, How to Stop and Prevent Accidents and Injuries Without Sacrificing the Bottom Line. Um, so th this this was what interest, really interested me in our in our conversation together. A lot of people don't do this, or, or I'd say very few people do this, and that is connect 
money with safety because may, for whatever reason they don't, they think maybe there's nothing to be said there or, you know, they don't want to connect it to, uh, you know, dollar signs with safety. Is that some kind of a faux pas or some kind of something that yeah. shouldn't be reported? Safety is something separate from money. Like it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be, uh, you shouldn't uh, complicate the two, right? You shouldn't, you shouldn't connect them together. And so, You've uh, you've talked about something called the business of safety, and that's uh, that caught my eye. Uh, in the past, I've tried to myself connect that to with companies. You know, companies around the world operate differently, but in the U.S., um, the major factor of connecting safety with money would simply be that in within inside a large corporation, the uh, business sectors are different and they have different accounting sectors that are only um, liable to themselves. And there's nobody really looking at all of the all of the different ways that safety affects different units. Right. So safety affects a, a massive injury can could affect the uh, the business unit that it's affected. It could affect the insurance cost of the company. It could affect the company's ability to get contracts. It could affect um uh, you know, just four or five, the procurement department, right? So it's so talking about a lot of different ways it affects it. So there is a business of safety. Um, and so I, I'm just trying to set this up with you to say, uh, you know, exactly what you're talking about in this book. And and, and, and and believe me, I've I read through it. I've got some questions, but I'm going to let you <laughs> define it first. Uh, but I'm going to start out with this. Um, one thing, uh, you know, that you put in there, an average of $44,000 for a cost to a company for a simple injury and $1.3 million of cost for a workplace death. So there is substantial uh, potential loss in safety. Um, so your book, how did you come up with it? And uh, can you define, you know, I guess in, in a macro sense, what your, what your theory is of the book, and then we'll get into some details. No problem. So, uh, Jeff, really, I felt that because we had created this niche business in Coil, you know, a lot of the companies that are out there that are, you know, hardworking, respectable companies, I couldn't get access to those people because we created this premium service. And so the small to medium enterprises couldn't afford the services that we provide because of the guys that I had to pay were getting paid, you know, premium price and therefore, you had to charge out a premium price to our clients. So, you know, we couldn't offer the same service. So, yeah, definitely happy to give, was happy to give pro bono advice and stuff like that to help people. But, yeah, it was a struggle of mine that I suppose it's a level of maturity as well within myself that I was kind of going, why, why should there be a class system within health and safety? There shouldn't be a class system shouldn't be a tier system where just because you have more money means that you have the luxury of more safety. Why isn't there sort of a, a, um, you know, the same for everybody? And I've struggled with that concept for a long time. And so I set up gavin-coil.com and really, uh, Jeff, I just wanted to give people as much advice, as much support, as much toolkits. I wanted to give them free uh, courses I wanted to give them budget safety courses like, you know, with me talking at a video uh, about a particular topic and you get a cert and it's $29.99. And, you know, this was a go-to place that, you know, all these people that I was coming across in the supply chain that were struggling with safety and telling me that 
oh sure look it's easy for that for them you know they've got loads of money they've got all the resources they can employ all these guys for health and safety i wanted to completely dispel that in workplace safety for the budget i want people to look at the, at this uh, book in such a way that whether you're a large multinational or whether you're a small one-man business it doesn't matter or anywhere in between health and safety can be achieved and can be done smartly if you look at health and safety as a profit center for your business and so the terminology that we came out of that was the business of safety because nobody's talking about the business of safety within business if you go to the boardroom Health and safety, yes, is discussed within the first five or 10 minutes of the notes. And it's like, we can nearly, we can all, anyone's listening will all relate to this. We talk about accidents and incidents, is there anything to report? And we talk probably about the budget in terms of what was spent on safety and where we are, where, where is the budget with health and safety? And what comes out of that though, is that there isn't somebody really at the board level in most cases that has a impact or some sort of a, a, a contribution to make towards the success and the sustainability growth of the business. Because while you're a regulatory person, so you're not really part of the board uh, discussion or the board minutes. So I've even seen situations where the health and safety guy goes in, gives a, rep, gives a presentation at the start of the boardroom uh, meeting, and then is told to leave. <laughs> like, so we're not. Yeah, well, no, but like, we don't need you anymore. We, you know, you've given us the information we need. We don't need you to expand on anything else. Thanks very much. Goodbye. Uh, like, so what I'm saying is that that person should stay in the room. And th- there's a ho- there's a safety aspect to every part of a business where money is involved. And if people can get their heads around what we're saying is, if you can take the money that you're spending on health and safety in all these different areas. And if you look at it from an analytical point of view and you, and you challenge it and you say, well, what is the output that we're getting out of that? And how do we repurpose that? So that money can be spent on for the likes of, for example, better equipment, safer equipment, better people that are more qualified, that are going to cost more money, bonus schemes for people that are delivering on all of the different aspects of business including the profit center of safety and that's a total different shift of mindset because as we all know it's a taboo subject in saying i want to cut costs on safety because people don't want to be having those conversations they're afraid to have that dialogue because you're seeing as you're the one that came in here and said we needed to cut costs on safety and there is a dichotomy with that, with people. They can't get their heads around that. What we're saying is, think about it. Think about all the different aspects of your business, all the different touch points of your business that has a safety aspect to it. Think about the dollar value that that is and think about the efficiency of the output of what that is. And then how can you make that better? So you might look at it and say, we're spending X amount of money on uh, training that training is actually making a big impact because we've done a survey with all the guys or we've you know spoken to whoever and they've all said that that has made a massive difference to the to the business and to their jobs why can't we spend more money in that area is there any other area of the business that we're spending money on safety that isn't as efficient 
okay, we're spending money, for example, and this is hypothesis, we're spending money on manual handling training for the guys in the office because they have to go to the filing cabinet and they have to take out um, printing paper, which is in bundles of six or seven. And, you know, we need to train them because it's manual handling. Okay, well, have you looked at going digital and not having as much paper in the, in the filing cabinet and have, have, having a process where everything is stored online on the cloud as opposed to printing off all this paper? Now, I'm not saying, you know, uh, that can happen, but these are the conversations that we want people to have because now you don't have to train the people. You don't have to spend that money on manual handling because they're not lifting that box anymore. And that money can be spent in better usage somewhere else within the business or can go back into the pot for the end of year report to say we've increased our profits and maybe use the following year or whatever that is. But like, that's just one, that's one small antidote, a bigger antidote where we've solved an issue for a customer was, um, their guys were working in a trench. Uh, they'd had about a hundred guys working throughout a major project and when i spoke to the guys the guys said that they were never employed to work in that trench they were actually employed to work on t- uh, as linesmen on top of uh, electrical poles so complete change from what their job was now it wasn't a competency-based task so they didn't have to get retrained or they didn't have to receive specific training for the for this new role that they were doing but because the company had won a massive contract. They told their people that they were now going to have going to have to work in these trenches, and they they were happy to do so because the money was good, and they didn't want to upset the 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 role uh, because obviously families, mortgages, loans, repayments, whatever else. So they continued to work. But when I spoke to them, they were like, you know, "We were never employed to do this, Gavin." So the conversation then went back to the to the to the leaders to the management team. There's other companies out there that could do that task better than your guys that are absolutely only focused on actually doing that particular task that you guys are doing. Do you, are you aware of that? They were, yeah, but you know, hold on a minute. You have all the data. You know exactly how long it takes to do that job. You know how many hours it takes. You know how much it costs you because you have all that built up knowledge of your own people in those trenches. Let's go to tender. Let's create a tender process and let's, uh, you know, select uh, someone from that. They found a fantastic company that came in that were only focused on that particular task. And therefore, they awarded them the contract because not just were they coming well in on their budget, they had all the credentials and everything else that they were able to come in. And that relationship exists today, today with that company. And they've saved over a million in savings by bringing in that company because now there are people that were stuck in the trenches could come out of the trenches and be repurposed into other projects, which allowed the capacity for the company to take on more work, which allowed their people to go back to do the jobs that they were good at, which allowed then a focus on people to do what they were, um, what they were competent to do and also to increase the profits within the business. And so Jeff, the, this, the company that actually was employed and won this tender, their revenue went through the roof because they were able. They they got this big contract from this company, and that relationship continues today. And um, I've often met the owners of that business, the 
the CEO has a bit of a smile on, on his face um, because, you know, it's it's it, it was a sort of a, a, a major decision to be made to, to outsource your business to somebody else. And you yeah. do maybe have a risk, you know, is this small company going to come up and take a piece of our pie and become bigger than us in the future and maybe work for our clients? But if you manage that rela- relationship and the, if you risk manage that relationship properly, you know, you you can spend more time with the client and the client relationships, and that's what that that's what that client did. So, the, so as a, as a quick review of what uh, this particular case study you ju- you're just talking about, the the company was they got a new contract for work they had never done before, so they had gotten workers that were not trained properly doing a job they had never done properly, very probably very unsafely but because they don't know what they're doing and and also uh unef- inefficient right they're very inefficient uh you came in you know in in your book the first thing you recommend doing is a is a is a uh assessment right assessment of the whole company the whole operation everything so probably i'm guessing you learned that in your assessment process of the company yeah. and you you learn that assessment process you learn this and you say and you recommend to the company hey you know what it'll cost you a lot less money if you go out and get in in contract men or in women who are trained for this specific underground work let yeah. your guys come back who know the utility work the 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 above ground work be more effective there you you not only made it safer but you increased the capacity of the company to produce so to much do more, more work to bring yeah, so, in more work, yeah, to go after more work. And the motivation lifted mm-hmm. of the workers. Uh, like, the, you know, now they were back doing what they were employed to do. They were mm-hmm. happier in their own positions. And there's nothing as bad as a, an unhappy worker, you know? Uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, they were they were new. And in the in the oil field, which is where my, so I spend most of my time, you know, essentially those guys were new. We call, In the oil field, they call them green hats. Um, so when the, I don't know if they do that there with companies, but, uh, people who are new on site, uh, they are required to wear a green hard hat. So everyone yeah. around them knows that they're new to keep an eye on them, to help them, give them help a hand yeah. you know, to, and, and to stay away from them. <laughs> you know, maybe <laughs> they'll stay away from that guy. But, yeah, uh, so yeah, they, that's what they do. So that, that is a, uh, the hell of a, ta- uh, a case study because, you basically uh, were able to improve on all levels, right there, right? And so that's a that's a hell of a case study to be able to present to people. Uh, when you meet with a new, um, you know, our, you know, in the book, you know, like I just mentioned, the 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 assessment is there first. The assessment, yes. uh, you go through, you talk about a ton of things. You talk about uh, this, you know, direct versus indirect cost training. Computer-based yeah. training uh, is yeah. it good to outsource certain kinds of training? Uh, you know, there's a there's an there's an enormous amount to the book. It's basically a how-to. It would make a great um, required reading for HSC specialists, especially if they're new, right? If to come yeah. in and say, okay, but you know, you mentioned earlier you'd written this book because smaller companies can necessarily afford the amount of safety that bigger ones can. And and when you when you said that, I realized, okay, who in my purview is safe? Like who who focuses on safety? Well, one of the top ones is Slumberjay. 
also one of the richest and biggest companies in the world, right? And so yeah. I, I look at it and I'm going thinking, yeah, it's that that works that that uh, that tracks with my experience as well. So your book really is um, almost a how to professionalize a small company safety program. Yes. Uh, yeah. And, yeah. And so when you yeah. said that, I went, yeah, that, that's exactly what that does. It gives them a, <laughs> a very sophisticated uh, process to, uh, you know, I guess, maximize safety within a smaller company. And yeah. I've always been a big fan of the assessments because I have myself, my assessments have been very specific to hand safety because that's my world it came okay. from. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, assessments are great. So uh, a little well, break. We, we kind of looked at it, Jeff. Sorry to crash it. We kind of look at it as like, uh, from my experience down through the years, like I look at it as hacks, um, different hacks in your business uh, in terms of health and safety and how to get around uh, health and safety in a way that you can still be compliant, still have a great culture within your organization for safety, but you can actually add to the profit of your business. So how do you do that? And here's all the hacks that can do that for you. And yeah. I, I suppose I never really realized before that it was only when I started writing the book that I realized, oh my God, like all the stuff that I've been doing with other companies, it was when I dumped it all into one book and you look back at it and go like, yeah, like this, this is a really, really useful tool for everybody. And as you said, if it's a graduate safety guy or somebody thinking of getting into safety if it's a seasonal safety guy or if it's a a large corporation or small or one-man band it doesn't matter the book will have something in it that somebody Mm. will turn around and go do you know what my god we're spending a fortune on that let's have a look at that area and so um you know we're, we're coming out of it with a program and i didn't really look at it as a program before but we're looking at it as the you know the business of safety program and the first part, obviously, is the discovery process. So get your spreadsheet. You know, who, who was talking about spreadsheets and safety before? We're saying get your spreadsheet. Put it down. And, and just even, you don't need us. You can just get a spreadsheet yourself and look at it and say, right, here's all the critical areas that we want to look at initially. And even if you just take one or two of them and absolutely rip that apart from an analytics point of view, and from a financial, you don't need, obviously, to be a CPA approved or anything like that. You can go in and you can say, well, how much are we spending? Where are we spending it? What's the feedback from the guys on the ground? And could we, do be, could we be doing better with that? And is it is it something that we can turn the dial up or turn the dial off? Yeah, I got you. I think um, one of the, I guess, greatest hills to overcome in this is, number one, convincing old school leaders that, you know, there is a business of safety. There is a way to improve your bottom line through safety. Uh, But also, you know, one thing I've seen, and you talk about it, and and you're going to gain a lot of attention about this because you you apply lean principles to safety in your book. And that's something that uh, a businessman will certainly understand uh, and, and certainly may catch his eye. So that's one thing. Uh, One thing I've seen a battle of, especially in, in, again, I am so attached to the oil and gas industry. I don't know yeah. outside, of it, but in the oil and gas industry, there is a chasm between, and always a fight between HSC and procurement. Uh, yes. procurement says, this is our budget. You can stay in it. And, and what, um, you know, a lot of times what they do is, you know, 
they'll come out and they'll set a standard for something, right? And HEC printers, you know, specifically gloves, like we want this cut level or we want this impact level. And then the procurement has the ability to go, as long as it matches that, get that, you know, and, and they'll go out and they'll seek out the cheapest thing humanly yes. possible, which is, you know, I've told people so many times before, the most expensive PPE is the one that costs the least. Uh, yes. And it's just, it's just the case. It's the truth. Every yeah. and, 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 and I'll say this too, to support what the theory behind what you're saying, the safest companies, in my, and I've been in this thing for 12 years now in this old gas business, the safest yeah. companies are the most profitable ones. And yeah. the ones who have the absolute dirt crap safety programs are the ones who go out of business. Yeah. They, uh, because for what, there's a lot more to that than just the granular, what I just said. There's a lot of details in there, but, but there's reasons for that. And because that, you know, you don't, you talk, you talk more technical, uh, and you don't mention a whole lot about culture. But to me, that's, that is a sign of and an inducement of a type of culture that's a failure culture. And, uh, you know, as a question for you, you're talking to a CEO of a company, you know, in America, you're talking, you're probably used to talking to international European companies, admittedly, probably a little more likely to listen to your story, to listen to what you're trying to, 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 to convince them of you come to a, you know, U S company. What do you say to a CEO to say, look, I guess, get his attention, get get a meeting with him, get get him to a lot of you, to explain your story, what do you do? Let me tell you. Let me tell you straight off the bat. Europe is no different than the states you don't or think Australia. So? No, one hundred percent. I'm telling you now that the the level of safety conversation goes as far as a certain level within any organization, and it stays there. And there's a there's a glass ceiling that cannot be broke. Mm-hmm. And the only way to break that glass ceiling is to go in and talk numbers. And say, I don't think I think I can save up to fifty percent on health and safety this year by re-engineering um, certain aspects of our business that is safety related. But on the basis of that, I want some of that fifty percent back into me so that I can repurpose that money for better people, better equipment, better tools, better resources, better training bonuses, whatever you want to talk about. That's the conversation. So if I'm a CEO, you know, growth, uh, expansion, more business, better projects, they're all the, they're all the buzz talk in boardrooms, as you know, yourself, you know, profit, where are we? Where's the scale? So you got to come with that, with that dialogue into the boardroom. And if, if, if a CEO is smart, which most of them are, that's one around. So, but if look, if you're going to save me fifty percent, up to fifty percent on my safety bill, I'm talking to you because you know there's something going on here. And yeah. I had a discussion earlier on with somebody, and we, I brought up the discussion about Bowen, you know, who would be seen as a safe company, safe reputation, institution, you know, without getting into the legal aspects of what went on. The optics from a safety perspective looks really bad, really, really bad. You know, so it doesn't matter whether you're a large multinational organization or a small company. The 
the challenges are the same. Yeah. yeah. They're just on a bigger, they're just, the scale is different. That's all. Well, Gavin, I think you're starting a conversation that could lead to a big place and lead to some changes. Um, you know, I like what you're saying about the fact that the safety, uh, you, you mentioned it earlier, where safety has their part of the meeting and the meeting and they're, they're gone, right? They're not even sitting yeah. through the entire meeting. So they don't have any input on any other part of what the uh, the, the recap of the, of the quarter or whatever that meeting may be about. They have no other part in saying, okay, this is our safety. This is how many injuries we had, blah, 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 moving on. And so, you, you know, your, your, your mission is to put these people into, to, to be a business unit. It's in itself to make the profit center into itself and to make yeah. it uh, a, a bigger part of the company. And, and, and you believe strongly and you have the proof of it that you can save the, you can, you can increase the bottom line by a lot by focusing on safety as a profit center. I think your conversation, I think it's wonderful. Uh, the book is wonderful as a how to, uh, I think it would be an incredible book for smaller companies that can't necessarily afford uh, outside consulting and outside help like, uh, like your, like the coal group. And uh, I think that's awesome that you, that you thought to yourself to, uh, to give it, you know, and to say, look, this is this is something that's missing for a certain certain kind of company, and that's awesome that you gave it. Well, where can um, you know? I bought the book on Amazon. Uh, where is there? Uh, is that where else can people purchase uh, purchase your book there? So it's only available on Amazon.com. Oh, yeah, uh, okay. But if if you go on to Gavin Hyphen Coil dot uh, com. Sure. Uh, you can buy the book, but it, it'll just bring you back to to Amazon's website anyway. Uh, okay, so. all right. I'll I'll have that on the um, the the show notes as well when we announce the show. I'll have that, and as well as uh, I'll have some information on uh, the core group as well. And also, uh, if you want, I can also put your you know your contact info as well, so they can contact if they have questions, they can contact you directly. But uh, I thank you very much for this conversation. Uh, it when when we first started talking about having it, it, it wasn't quite what I what I thought it was going to be in the very beginning. So I was, I'm, I'm, I'm super glad we had it. Uh, and yeah. I appreciate a very fresh and unique perspective. And I, and I really thank you for being my first international guest on the mission zero. <laughs> well, uh, look, um, you're welcome to Ireland any day, Jeff, you just let <laughs> me know when you're, when you're packing a bag and, uh, yeah. we'll, uh, we'll give you the Irish welcome on a, on a point of Guinness once you get off oh, the flight. Um, that would be wonderful. Thank you so much, sir. It's uh, it's uh, Friday evening there, so I guess you're about to spend some family time, and and I'm gonna uh, I've got the rest of my Friday here in Midland, Texas. So uh, you have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show and accept the mission. Please subscribe to the Mission Zero podcast on your preferred streaming service, and be sure to give us a five star review.